Thanks for being here. If you can make your way back to your seat, take out your Bible if you have a copy of God's Word. If you do not, in the middle table in the back, we have a stack of Bibles, and that's our gift to you if you want to take one with you or grab it this morning. We're going to be looking um, in a couple places in the Gospels, but if you want to turn somewhere, turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 40. And while you're turning there, I'm going to read from John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 27. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. That's the resurrected Jesus appears to the disciples and would talk about a day to be sick. Thomas isn't there. So the other disciples, disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he, Thomas, said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then if you're in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36, listen to God's word. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do, you doubt, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Father, this is your word and we're grateful for it. Please speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We read in John that Thomas wanted to see the mark left by the nails on Jesus' hands. The mark, the impression, the type, the scar. So this morning we're gonna look at the scars of Jesus. And as I was reading and thinking, you know, Easter is one of those things, kind of like Christmas. You go, okay, how do we make this fresh? We know the story. If you've been in church, maybe you know it. If you've not been in church, maybe you kind of know somewhat about what Easter is all about. And so I'm reading and I've been praying and I was telling Nathan, our worship director, uh, this week, it's like, you know Easter's coming, you think, you pray, you go, okay, God, what do we need to talk about? What do we need to talk about? And then this week it was still like, God, what, what does this mean for us? And I read someone say and just mentioned the scars of Jesus. And you know what my first response was? Why does he have scars? If you've got the whole thing down where you can raise a dead person to life, I mean, can't you do away with the scars, right? I mean, if you've got the whole thing down where someone is dead and God brings Jesus back to life, can't you have like a perfect body after that? I mean, why does Jesus have scars? Why is the resurrected Jesus have marks on his hands and marks on his feet from the nails and a mark on his side from where the spear pierced him? Why does Jesus have scars? And as I got to thinking about scars, I got to thinking about a few of my own scars. I don't know if you have scars. I have a couple. Uh, two in particular on the same eyebrow um, like 10 years apart. And, and one of them was... I was in middle school, and um, 
you know, one of them is just from being a, a prideful middle school boy. I was very insecure, but I masked it by acting like I wasn't. None of you can relate, I'm sure. And we were blessed to have a PE coach that played like way back up in the NFL, like third string. So we, being the prideful kids we were, would make fun of him for being a third stringer, overlooking the fact that he was in the NFL. And so one of our favorite things to do in PE was to go outside on the softball field behind our school and play football. And so being the prideful um, eighth grader that I was, I thought, you know what, I'm so fast, I'm so great at sports, and so we're playing football, and he still could bomb a football. And so he throws it, I mean, across the entire field, and I'm running as fast as I can, thinking to myself, does everyone see how gifted I am? (laughs) In an instant, I forgot I was on a softball field surrounded by a fence. And I was very fast, and I hit that fence at a great speed. And fall, and just honestly at first felt a little dizzy, and I kind of back up, and I put my hand on my head, and I drop to my knees, and I move my hand, and just a wonderful little fountain of blood coming out of my head. I thought, well, that's, I guess, what I get. So I go to the nurse, and she gives me a wonderful Revolutionary War-style head wrap, to which my mom arrives thinking I was in much worse condition than I was. And so we go to the urgent care, go to the emergency room, and they actually used glue to kind of put it back together rather than stitches, and so uh, now I have a scar on that part of my eyebrow. And, and guess what? That scar tells a story, right? Because all scars tell stories. If you have a scar on your body, it, it tells a story. Or maybe you don't have that many external scars, but maybe your, your scars are internal. Maybe you have scars from relationships. Maybe you have scars from moments of suffering or pain that you went through. Scars from grief and loss. And every single one of those internal and external scars tell a story. What story are the scars of Jesus telling us this Easter? Well, I want to look at a few of the points that I think his scars are showing us this morning. First of all, his scars are showing us his humanity. His humanity. If you look in Luke 24, right after the verses we read, if, if, you, if you read through verse 40, you saw he showed them his hands and his feet. And then verse 41 says this, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, that's like shock, jaws on the ground, he said to them, while you're preoccupied with the resurrected person that I am, can I eat while you guys gather yourselves? Do you have anything I could snack on while you gain your composure? Like, did you not see this coming? Okay, you guys deal with your shock and all. I'm, can I have some of this fish? He's a real human being. I think sometimes we tend to either emphasize one or the other that he was divine or he was human, but the scars show us his real humanity. And even in his resurrection, he's asking for something to eat. And I think what his humanity show us is that Jesus never intended to save us at a safe distance. Jesus came near to our broken human condition. 
He didn't stand back and lob answers from heaven and saying like, hey, get this thing cleaned up and then you could come into me. Then you could come into my presence and you could come near to me. He didn't stand back. He didn't come in a pristine, clean Savior's body saying, no, I'm not going to touch the lepers. I'm not going to come near the sinners. No, he came born of a virgin living a human life, knowing exactly what it meant to suffer, to be in pain. He drew near to those that the society said were the most unclean and didn't even speak words to them like the leper said, if you will, you can make me clean. And he reached out his hand and touched them. No one would willingly touch a leper because it meant you were unclean and you needed to spend a couple weeks in what we all now know as quarantine. Whatever your take on COVID was, I know you didn't want to be in quarantine. But Jesus moved towards those people. He moved towards a woman who had had five husbands and then was living with someone who wasn't her husband. And All of this is pointing to the same thing for Jesus. The the portrait that's being painted, Christ moves near to you. John 1, he pitched his tent among us. He came and dwelt among us in the flesh. He's a real human. But his scars also point to his physical suffering. The scars are marks from where he was crucified. Nails driven through his hands and his feet. We can read of what happened to him as he was beaten and mocked, as he carried his cross, as they pressed a crown of thorns on his head and as he was crucified. And we can know that he went through real physical suffering and pain. Again, to show us and to invite us in to say, I I know. Christ looks at you and he says, I know. When you look at his scars, he's saying, I I know. His scars also show us his shame. We don't grasp the full effect of what the cross was for the Romans and the Roman Empire in the first century. Maybe you've heard sermons on the cross. It was brutal, and I'm not going to go into the details this morning, but it was brutal, and it was meant to execute people. But more than that, it was meant to humiliate them as they hung dying, and it took a long time for the death to occur. The Roman Empire came up with crucifixion to slowly and painfully humiliate their enemies. And then on the other side, from if, if the Roman Empire is the cultural situation, Christ's religious situation was that he was Jewish. And the Jews had the belief That anyone who hung on a tree was cursed. And so Christ, from the Roman point of view and from the Jewish point of view, was humiliated and ashamed in his death. He did not die a noble death, standing up for something that was right, diving and taking a a bullet for someone else. No, 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 that's not how Christ died. He was taken outside the city walls, outside the gate. He was taken away and died in a shameful way where Romans were mocking him. Jews were complicit in his death, looking down on him, and Christ bore the shame of the cross. His scars show us his shame. His scars also, though, show us his victory. Because what are scars? They're healed wounds. The only time we see his scars are in the resurrection. 
The only time we see his scars are after he's been raised to life. If scars tell a story, we need to pay attention to the whole story. I only have a scar on my head because I was injured and then the injury healed. Christ only has scars on his hand because he was injured, he was crucified, and then he was raised to life. His scars show us his victory, and his scars show us that his wounds did not finish him. So we learn these things about Christ from his scars, but then we've got to ask, what do his scars mean for us? What do his scars mean for us? And the first thing I think it means is that he has brought us salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died a physical, shameful death to take on the weight of God's wrath in our place. He was paying a spiritual price for us that we could not pay on our own. He bore the full weight of our sin there on the cross. So his, his scars for us means that he paid what we owed. He took our place on that cross, dying that death. His scars also make him tender toward us. I mentioned earlier as I prayed, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 has really become like a life verse to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't know what your exposure to the Christian faith has been. Whether it's been little or a lot, I'm sure there's been some unhealthy view of it because everyone who claims to be a believer is imperfect. I don't know if you've ever heard of this verse. Christ, Jesus, the Savior, the one we're celebrating this morning, says, come to me all who are weary, not holy. Come to me all who have heavy burdens, not all who are strong enough. Why? He wants to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Christ stands ready to be gentle with you. So as you stand condemning yourself or coming up with reasons and hurdles of why you can't come to Jesus, you need to know Jesus doesn't stand arms crossed back wondering, it's about time. It took Easter to get you here, huh? See, at Christmas. No, no, no can, I, can I tell you some good news this morning? No, no, I need to tell you good news this morning. That's not what Jesus thinks. That may be what some of his followers think. That may be what some disgruntled pastors think who want you to show up more and give. That may be what some people, that may be what you think. Goodness, I, I feel bad. Maybe you've been here every week this year and you still think Jesus stands arm crossed back ready to look for you. Let, look at his scars this morning and let those scars prove to you that Christ is ready to be gentle with you. He is under no illusions of how bad off you are. Whoever you're standing ready to prove this morning that you've got things put together, it's not Jesus. Christ is gentle and he's ready to be gentle with you. His scars for us make him tender toward us. His scars also mean he can sympathize with us. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 
Since then, we have a great high priest. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Some negatives in there, so let's try to clear this up. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We do have a high priest in Jesus who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Christ is not shocked by your weaknesses. He's not put off by your weaknesses. He's not disgusted, grimacing at your weaknesses. He sympathizes because he knows because he walked this earth and he was tempted just as we are. The good news is he was tempted without sin so the perfect one does not look down on you for not being perfect. He looks to you with longing in his eyes saying why do you think I went through this? Not because I expected you to do it because I knew you couldn't. He, he looks at you and says I see that sin you're struggling with and my heart breaks. He says, I see that addiction you've been wrestling with in and out of rehab for decades. My heart breaks for you. I'm not growing more bitter because you can't get it together. I'm sympathizing with you. Look at, would you look at his scars this morning? Because his scars are inviting you to own up to your own weakness. His scars are inviting you to see the one who was bruised so that we could be healed, Isaiah 53. His scars mean he can sympathize with us. His scars prove his love for us is deep. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When Christ died on the cross, every moment of your life was in the future. Every sin, every misstep, Every wrong you would ever do was in the future. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we had started getting our life together, started cleaning it up, started coming to church regularly, started even giving, started coming to a gospel community, started serving on the hospitality team, started praying at least four of the seven days of the week. Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is a deep love. And he says in the verses right before that, it's okay to die for a righteous person. I mean, that's kind of noble. For an unrighteous person, I don't know that people are really gonna die for that. But Christ died for us while we were ungodly <laughs> because he loves us. His love for you is deep. You say, how do I know? Did you look at his scars this morning? So not only is his love deep, his scars prove that his love for us is lasting. Listen to the, ends of, the end of Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The scars. He gave up his son for us. Look at the scars. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, 
who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And here's your question this morning. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer that in your heart for just a second. What can separate you from Christ's love? Don't you dare give me a Sunday school answer. One thing we're passionate about at Shalford is real people encountering the real God. What do you believe can separate you from the love of God? Tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? What else? And you, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand what I've wrestled with. You don't understand the doubt that I have. You don't understand the sin in my heart. You don't understand the, the time I've served in prison. You don't understand the affairs I've had. You don't, you don't understand how much money I stole from my company. You, you don't understand. You don't understand. I, I, I've had an abortion. You, you don't understand. I've been divorced multiple times. You don't understand. Shall anything separate us from the love of Christ? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Whatever barrier you're putting up between you and Christ this morning, would you look at his scars? They prove to you that his love is deep and his love is lasting. As we look at the scars of Jesus, we're probably reminded of our own scars. We're probably reminded of those things that we've been through in our life that has left scars. And we all have, it's unavoidable, we all have scars. What kind of scars do you have this morning? What kind of hurt? What kind of pain? What kind of suffering or, or mistakes or sins? And how have those scars affected you? Are you even aware of how you're walking and living with a limp? You're loving with a limp. You, you have emotions with a limp. It's hard for you to have relationships or to trust. It's hard for you to want to step foot in this building because of maybe the way you've encountered Christians before. How do you live your life with a limp because of the scars in your story? Our scars point back to real suffering and real pain, real hard times in our lives that have really affected us. But whatever scars we have, whatever scars we'll get in this life, you know, they may, they may wound us to the point of undoing us, sending us into a spiral of which we think we'll never recover. The depression or anxiety, the addiction mounts and builds, the rut in our heart continues and the scars pile up. And you know, one day we will all face a wound that will not just leave a scar, but it will actually lead us to death. You know that. Maybe from the inside out, maybe something that will lead us to the point of death, like a sickness. It may be something from the outside that takes our life, something in a moment we won't always live through the wounds we have. Our days are numbered. We will one day face a wound that will kill us. 
and it won't just leave a scar, it'll leave us in the grave, it'll lead, lead us straight to death. So our hope is not that, hey, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. That's not our hope. The hope is not that you'll mount up scars and stories that tell a story of how much stronger you've gotten having gone through them. That's not your hope. Your hope cannot be, hey, look what I've been through and I'm so much stronger for it. Your hope has to be that someone has taken the mortal wound and walked out the other side. That's our only hope. Because we will all face a mortal wound that will lead us to the grave. Has anyone faced that wound and walked out to the other side? Put your hands in the marks of the nails. I've taken the mortal wound, Christ says, and I've lived to tell about it. Your hope in this life is not that you can be strong enough to face whatever scars may come your way. Your hope is not that your scars tell a story of of your resilience, of your courage, and of your bravery. Take the mask off. I know we're in East Cobb. We got it together, right? Christ would be lucky to have us on his team. I won't tell anybody. We can lock the door. I don't have it together. And I have scars, you have scars. Those scars have affected you, but I hope that they're not leading you to depend on yourself and say, you know what, I'm better off for it. I know it was hard, but man, I'm just so much stronger. I've really learned and and I know next time. What happens when you face the wound, there's no next time? Only Jesus walks away from a deadly wound with just scars to show for it. You can't. So this morning, the invitation is to look at the scars of Jesus, throw yourself in his arms. I just want us all to be looking to Jesus this morning and looking at his scars and finding comfort that he knows you, he, he knows. The pain, he knows. The doubt, he knows. I mean, he's talking to someone who was doubting him. And in Matthew, it mentions the doubt too. It's like he's risen, he's there. It says they all worshiped him, but some doubted. You doubting this morning? Join the club. You don't have the answers of the whole faith? Welcome. I'm with you. Christ knows. He knows. And he's tender, and he's compassionate, and he's gentle towards you. And he still says, come to me. Come to me. And the last thing in the book of Luke that we read in verses 50 to 53, this is the last act, okay? It says, he, Jesus, leads out his disciples as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the last act of Jesus. And knowing what we know from what comes right before, from what comes in the gospel of John, I want you to place yourself there. Jesus leads his disciples out. And his last act, it says, is not just to bless him, right? I mean, he, Luke could have said that. 
he led them out and he blessed them and he was ascended into heaven. He could have said that, right? But he adds a detail. He leads them out, he lifts up his hands and he blessed them. And they got one more glimpse of the scars of their savior. As if to remind them what their hope was to be as they encountered things that would scar them. To get one parting look at the scars of their savior, to be reminded that their lives did not depend on their own strength to withstand scarring events. To be reminded that their hope was in the hands of the scarred Savior, not in their ability to withstand scars. He raised up those scarred hands over his closest friends. And while he spoke a word of blessing over them, their eyes were on him. And the last sight they got of their friend their savior, the crucified and now risen one, were his scarred hands in the sound of his voice speaking blessing over them. Do you see the scars of Jesus this morning? Have you come to the end of yourself to recognize you don't have the strength to withstand all the scarring events you're gonna go through in life. But there is one who is strong enough. There is one who is good enough. There is one who is gentle enough to invite you to himself. That is the story of Easter. And so I'd like for us to pray and the worship team is gonna come back up and we're gonna have a time to respond to God's word this morning. Because God's word always invites us to respond. So you see, we're going to take the Lord's table in just a minute. And um, the Lord's table is an invitation to come to Jesus and to celebrate the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And so the way we're going to do this is we're going to play a little bit of music before we start singing and give you a chance to come up and partake and then make your way back to your seat. Just so we make sure we have time for everyone to do it. So, uh, so before we, we begin singing, Nathan, just let's just play some music and, and give them a chance to, to come up. And as you come, you can take and you can stand over here and you can partake. You can take it back to your seat. You don't have to come right away, but we want to make sure there's time for everyone. And so we're going to spend a couple minutes and we're not going to sing. We're not gonna talk, we're not gonna pray, there's gonna be some music playing. And I want you to know you're invited. If you know Jesus, you're invited to partake of his body broken for you and his blood shed for you. But if you don't know Jesus this morning, your invitation is not to come to the table. Your invitation is to come to Jesus. Because this is for people to celebrate. Yes, I know his body was broken for me. I know his blood was shed for me. And so we take this in faith as a declaration to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That was for me. Yes, thank you, Jesus. But if you've never declared that in faith, then I want this morning to be the first time you get to declare that in faith. 
I want this morning to be the first time you come in prayer to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your body to be broken for me. I know you died on the cross, but now I recognize that was for me. I need to take up your invitation to come to you. I want that to be your response this morning if you've never done that. And you may say, I don't know how to do that. Would you come pray with me? I would love to pray with you and show you how to do that. Uh, Lynn is going to be available. You can come pray with Lynn. Justin, one of our elders, is going to be ready. You can come pray with Justin. Brian in the back. You can go pray with ladies. You can grab Ann. She's our women's ministry director, and she would love to pray with you and introduce you to the person of Jesus. But I pray this morning we would all walk out of here saying, I encountered you. I came to Jesus this morning. Whether this is the first time or the thousandth time that you would come to Jesus this morning. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite us all to come and respond to God's word. Father, we thankful for who you are. We're thankful for the incredible plan that you sent Jesus to save us. We thank, we thank you for your message that you're not expecting us. Oh God, you're not expecting us to measure up. Would you remove burdens this morning, God? Free the captives who are enslaved to trying to put their life together and instead let them open their hands and turn their life over to Jesus. And I pray this Easter, they wouldn't just be celebrating uh, Christ's resurrection. They'd be celebrating their own resurrection this Easter, God. I pray for us all to live into the resurrection of Christ. And you tell us in Romans 6 that if, if we know you, we ought to be presenting ourselves to you as those who've been raised from death to life. Goodness, you don't tell us that we better get our lives. You tell us to present ourselves to you, to come with open hands in Romans 12, like a living sacrifice, presenting ourselves to you, which is our worship, saying, God, here I am. Here I am. Jesus, I see your scars this morning. I present myself to you, Christ, with my own scars, with my own story that I've struggled through, that I've stumbled forward in this life, making a mess of it you see me and you know and you still invite me to come to you so I pray that you speak to our hearts this morning and invite us to come to you it's in Jesus name we pray